Hi, this is the next episode of Crumpy Old Coders, and uh, this time we are talking about data what? Uh, I mean, I maybe you have to explain the what? title a little bit. Uh, da data what? What? Right. Uh, I thought it's a nice joke in uh, which refers to Doctor Who. Doctor Who, because what, what we do is we talk about our data science, right, or data scientists and... Uh, I thought this uh, data what uh, describes it quite well, right? Because uh, if if it is, uh, yeah, if you have the same kind of uh, feeling as we have, right, you might wonder what is data science actually, and uh, why is it relevant and stuff like that, right? And uh, so, uh, yeah, we we try to shed a little bit of light on that. And uh, I have with me Thomas. Uh, I guess we don't need to introduce you, but uh, maybe say just hello. Hello, hello. And to be honest, I I didn't get that joke before you explained it. The state of what Doctor Who thing. So you had to explain it to, for me to understand it. Which probably means that it's a bad joke, right? <laughs> jokes I didn't say that. that. <laughs> yeah, but jokes that need to be explained are usually bad jokes, right? Any, any, anyway, anyway, I just anyway. mentioned, right, that anyway is one of my favorite uh, words right now for some reason, right? Uh, so I, it's, it's very versatile. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it like my teenage son, right, who always uses specific uh, vocabulary and... Uh, uh, in German, for instance, Alter, right? So every second word is Alter. I'm not sure if you have some equivalent uh, phrases in, 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 in English, I guess. So. No, well, my children speak German too, but probably, oh, dude. Oh, no, no, fam. In British English is fam. Oh, fam. You know, fam is short for member of the family, I think, unless it means uh. something rude that I'm not aware of. <laughs> so, oh, and and oh whatever is not a good one so, oh whatever yeah that sort of thing yeah i guess whatever is falling into the same uh, category as uh, the one which i'm saying all the time right uh, which is whatever and, 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 anyway no, and anyway yeah what, what what is anyway exactly oh man uh okay we will cut this out right <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this might be the best bit of it. <laughs> exactly. So let's not cut it out. Let's keep it right. Uh, so uh, we need to, yeah, full disclosure, right? Uh, Christoph, if you're listening, right? Full disclosure. <laughs> just, just kidding. Uh, full disclosure, we actually, we are not experts in data science. And we are also not really expert in experts in, in, in anything. engineering or any, anything. Anything really. This, right? Yeah. I mean, Good. I mean, data engineering, I'm not sure about that, right? So I, I think we didn't call it data engineering in the past, but uh, in in a sense, what we did uh, when we, uh, at least I and you, worked for database companies and uh, consulted com customers about how to process the data, how to model the data, mm -hmm. how to extract and transform their data, how to materialize their data, and so on, right? You could kind of summarize this as data engineering nowadays. That's true. And I think it would be fair for you to call yourself a data engineer. But I kind of moved away from it a little bit to be more sort of application, general purpose, application development sort of guy. So if you call yourself a data engineering expert, then, then I'll allow that. 
Uh, yeah, let's see. I mean, it had some projects in this uh, context in the past, let's say, right? Uh, especially when I worked for NoSQL vendors or relation database system vendors. And uh, any, any, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> uh, okay, uh. but... Uh, Maybe before we jump into it, um, I have to say that I was a little bit confused about this data science topic more than I was kind of expecting, right? Because uh, mm. uh, it is—it seems to be a bit fussy. It seems to be a bit buzzwordy sometimes, right? And um, I mean, maybe feedback is appreciated, right? Uh, I had also the feeling that there there is some there are different movements in data science or the data science is basically something which is a bit inspired by the science community. They are using tools that are originally not coming from the enterprise world, right? Uh, but maybe more from the science world. They have a kind of uh, scientific uh, thought models, right? So scientific communities working together, workbooks, uh, blah, blah, right? We will talk about some of this stuff later. But uh, on the other hand side, there there is indeed also the enterprise world, right? And uh, the enterprise world usually was more inspired by by something like business intelligence and uh, data mining and uh, however you called this ten years ago, <laughs> let's say, right? Uh, and it seems yeah. that uh, if we talk about data scientists, then this is something like an overlapping term uh, across multiple functions in this sense, right? So mm -hmm. you you have on the one hand side are uh, a lot about uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, yeah, or statistics, uh, whatever, right? And on the other hand side, you you also have this typical data warehousing, business business intelligence stuff mixed in. But we will talk about this later, right? Let's say um, maybe interesting in this context before we jump in is uh, that it's more than just ML or machine learning or artificial intelligence. It's also about uh, Anything else, which is basically getting insights into data, which uh, could be statistical stuff, which could be uh, predictive analysis, uh, so something like uh, yeah, um, typical stuff, which is, has nothing to do with machine learning in a sense, right? Uh, like content-based filtering by category. If some, if mm. I'm interested in that and this belongs to that category, then I I might be also interested in other stuff which belongs to the to this category, or if I'm categorized and this touches a bit on on machine learning, maybe because of the classification of me as a person. But if I'm uh, categorized as that, and I'm and someone else is interested in in something who is also categorized as uh, as the same, right? Then um, maybe it is interesting to recommend me the same stuff or something like this, which is uh, strictly seen not actually an ML or AI problem, but maybe is touching data science in a, in a sense, right? This this kind of predictive yeah. stuff. Uh, anyway, let's. Uh, <laughs> was it again? <laughs> Thomas, uh, Thomas, sure. w w would you like to talk a bit about data science versus data engineering? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, before I jump in, we had a discussion about. It, yeah, since you mentioned machine learning versus artificial intelligence, which is the subset and which is the superset, sort of, is all machine learning artificial intelligence or is all artificial intelligence machine learning? I think, yeah, we, we, we did some Yes, we have this later, it. we have this later, but yeah, yeah, okay, let's talk now about it. It's fine, right? Let's do this. Yeah, no, I was just, since I remembered us talking about it, was it that artificial intelligence is 
the bigger set and a subset of that is machine learning wasn't it so <laughs> yeah we, did. we had a controversial discussion about it we, right we also did, inspired yeah. by also inspired i mean actually when i was at uni uh we we still kind of distinguished uh, a little bit between it so i mean I'm not sure if these terms were exactly the same but my initial impression was hey the one is basically uh, about uh, using neural networks the other one is about uh, um, using whatever machines can can infer from information and so on right mm. so uh, i think this is how we basically call ai in the past right so yeah decision yeah. trees and stuff like this and then um, it now became a little bit turned around anyway so um anyway what it is what it is is it is often used as synonyms which is strictly seen wrong right it's more kind of question of generalization versus specialization uh, which means that AI is more or less the protest term to classify uh, machines that or algorithms that mimic intelligence, let's say, right? So whatever is is basically artificial, not a human <laughs> or okay. not a living living creature, let's say, right? Whereby this is something which is also controversial. <laughs> what is living? What's okay. not? Okay. But, but, but whatever is not living and uh, behaves intelligent is artificial intelligence or uh, artificial is basically intelligent but artificial and uh we, we distinguish between basically weak ai which is what you have right now um so something like amazon alexa or siri or whatever uh is, is uh still weak artificial intelligence right so they are are doing specific very specialized tasks they give us maybe the impression that they can do more but at the end it's a it's a it's a mix of very specialized things they are doing whereby a strong artificial intelligence uh, is uh, kind of comparable to humans regarding the level of abstraction and uh, possibility to, to basically creatively solve new problems and so on, right? And something like that is not yet really existing uh, as far as I understand. And uh, as far as I know, who knows, maybe Google or Musk or whoever, right, <laughs> is having further details. But as far as I know, there's not yet any super intelligence, which uh, which is kind of uh, more intelligent than than the human mankind. Uh, as far as we know. Yeah. So so this is AI, and uh, ML is kind of a subset of AI. So meaning uh, AI or anything which is artificial and, and shows some intelligence. Let's say right. Uh, ML is specifying some computer algorithms that are able to learn stuff, right? So meaning there are usually some learning algorithms involved and so on, and you can uh, in, infer uh, information from, from other information, let's say. And uh, specific ML is the ML, which is based on neural networks, right? And... Uh, uh, neural networks, uh, maybe you can talk a bit about it. Uh, I think you also had a focus uh, <laughs> at uni. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, yeah, and more specifically within the field of neural networks, there are the, is the field of deep learning neural networks, uh, which means there are deep neural networks, deep neural networks, and we can talk about it later. Are neural right. networks that have more hidden layers than yeah. just one so three i believe is the, is the yeah so, also. sorry by the way i call sort of a, a, a sort of a topic jump by by remembering just that we talked about it um we'll get back to it i'm sure so, so artificial intelligence is the super super set 
right? So even even if, if it's an if statement and it, it makes a decision, that's kind of an intelligence. It, it would count in a way as artificial intelligence in, in a very broad terms. Machine learning is a subset of that and neural networks are a specific machine learning or a subset again of ML. Yeah. So, so yeah, so going back to what we talked before, <laughs> this is flowing well. Isn't data, it? So I, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> coming back to my question, my question was, what is the difference between data science and data, and engineering, data engineering? Right, because uh, data what? Data what? Data, data what? Engineering, yeah, exactly. data science, and so on. And right. I won't go off on a tangent again this time. So data science versus data engineering. So data engineering is basically data engineers who move data from either from one place to another place or look after data. There was, uh, what was the word, governance, data governance. People look after data. So this is what a data engineer would do. So things in, in the category of moving data, there was this ETL, if you remember that from, from ages ago. So there's this talent. It's still a big, it's still it, a big it, deal, ah, right? Ah, it's, it, it's it, is, a, it is a big thing. Yeah, but it has kind of changed. So. Yeah. Typically, you don't do ETL now, you do ELT, right? You, you just shove the data into a big data lake, right? So you, ins ex you extract and you load, and yeah, then you depends. transform, right? Yeah, 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 it, yeah it depends, yeah, yeah. but this- Depends, depends, depends. Uh, but typically, yeah, yeah. yeah, typically, especially with machine learning, you, you don't, other than cleaning the data, you don't do much in the way of the classic transforming that you do on the fly, you just, shove your data yeah. into your lake I, or your I tend bucket. to I tend to disagree I tend to disagree because uh, this data lake step right is just one one step in the right. pipeline let's say so you're right? saying the ETL is so, not complete exactly so basically it's one one step so what you do yeah. is basically you define I mean what the data engineer at the end is doing is he is kind of uh, implementing and defining pipelines let's say right yeah that's and, true. and and part of the pipeline is okay fine we gather some data in a data lake and so maybe we use something like a do for this or whatever right mm. and, and uh, in the next step uh, what we need to do is we need to to process the data further within the pipeline and do Sure. or to do something useful yeah. with it, right? Uh, because I, I, it doesn't stay in this lake. You need to fish. Yeah, in, in the you need to fish. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's oh, that's a beautiful picture. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying since storage is now so cheap, I mean, back in the day, we would, the yeah. extract and transform load was super compute intensive. You would have join queries and, you know, all sorts of things. And the result of that would go to your output. And that was the ETL. ETL was super compute heavy and these days the compute is more of the bottleneck right so storage is now so cheap that you typically say just pull the whole thing in and then yeah. transform it or do machine learning or do whatever with the raw data that you have in place there yeah, are pipelines yeah. you need to clean up the data that's all true but i'm just saying sort of it, actually it the more moved a little bit Exactly, we will come to it. But the the thing the thing is the following, right? That uh, the the actual effort of of being able to train models is to to extract meaningful features and yeah. stuff from your data, right? By doing yes. a lot of data science, right? This is where the data science kicks in. Then that's it. Uh, where, where, which means that uh, in a sense, uh, sure, it might be one step of a, of a pipeline to have a data lake, yeah. right? But the data lake itself is kind of useless as long as you're not having uh let's say 
predefined procedures to fish in it and and to That's find it. Uh, features and then process yes. it further in order to predict or whatever so, right? so, so, so in a way yeah it's it all de depends on your definition of things right you could even say this this fishing is the transformation right so it yeah, depends exactly. Where, exactly, yeah. yeah where does your etl end right so uh yeah so that's that um you have streaming platforms as well so this is something that i got in in contact with at mclaren so there's uh, kafka you know things like iot devices which have loads yeah, and loads of data spark stream also, kafka spark streams Redis any streams, streams are avail like available that, yeah. at aws exactly. we call it kinesis i think typically but that's just a brand name it's probably just a kafka underneath it i'm not even sure who knows uh, who knows i i mean I, I'm, I'm i'm not going into this political discussion about uh, <laughs> <laughs> aws providing providing specific open source software as yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, rebranding it and so on. anyway no we don't get there right? <laughs> what can i say you know i'm, I'm slightly biased i, I think I we just, discussed I, this I just, actually we, we had an episode just, about open source right we did um, yeah we, we touched on it without uh, kind of judging it let's say right because it's a hard topic yeah it it is a tough topic i mean yeah it's it, it is open source in one way and then you could argue the value add is the convenience of a managed service and you don't have to patch it and you can deploy it with a few clicks so so that there, there, there is a value add right but okay well let's let's not nah, get into those it, deep it, waters it, it, too it's early fine. It's, <laughs> nah, it's fine it's fine we are, we are, it's really a very hard discussion right politically and uh, it's very opinionated from either from each side in a way so it's 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 actually let's not go, go there I, yeah. I apologize that i even mentioned it <laughs> <laughs> it's fine yeah it's but it's so tempting to discuss it but because we are on the sort of the polar opposites of it so i, I work for a, a cloud provider who uses open source and you for an open source provide partly open source provider whose, yeah, open whose source software vendor, is used yeah. by cloud yeah. providers so so there's that anyway data engineering um what were the big stores i mean for for big data what what was there oracle probably and all the ol all the olap optimized things i think ingress had a what was it called again vector wise nah the this OLAP was not yet big data thing. i would say this was not yet big data okay. i think what you mean is data warehousing so meaning big data yeah. started when i mean you can argue right big data is a little bit a buzzword the, yeah. the idea of big data was to draw the line at, at a point where the amount of data was high was too so high right uh, mm -hmm. that a traditional system could not cope with it right and uh, then this was a little bit extended by saying hey it's not just the amount of data it's maybe also the velo velocity of the data and so on right okay. so 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 meaning meaning whenever a traditional system and i would say that something mm -hmm. like a like yeah, an oracle rtgms is a, RTBS, is a traditional yeah. system yeah uh, was not able to deal with it because of uh, some scalability limitations and stuff like that, right? Um, um, there was a solution by by doing big data processing and the typical thing in the big data world was then Hadoop and uh, yeah, um, some NoSQL systems in the surroundings and so on, right? Yeah. yeah so, but uh, why we are talking about it is basically because data engineers, I think this is the point, right? Data engineers mm -hmm. need to use plenty of different data stores, right? And need yes. to be able to to understand them. And uh, part of this is basically our big data systems like Hadoop or maybe some NoSQL systems, still relational database systems, whatever, right? Yeah, data I'm... warehouses, 
whatever yeah. is, is necessary. And, and why, why are there so many data tools, I, I think, or data stores? I think the answer is that it's, it's always a trade-off. There can't be the perfect data store, right? So a, a relational database system is great for keeping data consistent, but it has problems scaling because the data needs to be consistent at all times. The penalty is sort of the performance penalty gets bigger and bigger the more you scale. Yeah. Right. And and therefore you make a trade off. You say, okay, fine, I'm happy that the data is maybe even temporarily inconsistent just for a few seconds until the system is caught up. But if I get massive scaling and performance back for that, then then I'm happy, right? So so you always have to make these trade-offs. And that's why there are so many different data stores. You know, they all have to have this slider in a slightly different position. So um yeah, so one of them is well no secret. Also the also the physical the data model, also the physical data model, right? So one data store is more optimized for for accessing the data in a specific way and the other one for another way. Let's say for instance a graph database is really great yeah. for highly interconnected data. A key value store is uh, really great for data where you have to access it always via the primary key, stuff mm -hmm. like that, right? So, so, yeah, so. And, and the old classical uh, OLTP versus OLAP optimization, right? So an online mm -hmm. transaction processing database, which is standard database, would be optimized for um, data insertion, not taking an excessive amount of time, and reading, not taking an excessive amount of time, but in online analytical processing database would be optimized for reads right if the inserts take a slightly longer time then that doesn't matter because the data typically comes in some sort of background job for batches yeah, yeah. ETL, so let, let's say an oltp is more is more for real-time use cases yes um, so meaning what you are interested in is you're interested in very low per command latency yes right uh, and good performance for all operations yeah exactly individual performance of the operation whereby uh an olap system is usually about long running analytical queries right where you don't mind that your query is maybe taking two minutes instead of uh sub seconds yeah but you still want those queries to return right and if yeah yeah, yeah indeed, indeed, and, indeed. this know, changes by the way it does this kind of changes yeah. by the way right so it's not it's not really something which is totally written in stone it's a it's a kind oh, of yeah. old notion in a, in a sense mm. right nowadays uh nowadays what i've seen is at least that uh it's more a combination of everything which brings us back to this data pipeline stuff right you said okay fine mm -hmm. data lake as one approach of uh, maybe gathering information collect whatever i have put it into a fancy lake right and then mm -hmm. find out later how to fish right uh it's uh, <laughs> it's actually a nice picture so whereby whereby um so and then the processing data is maybe um, your pipelines and whatever, right? Your ETL yeah. pipelines, real-time exactly. ETL in the context of streaming and so on. But uh, pipeline could be, for instance, also the Lambda architecture, right? So instead of having a, a lake, uh, you could basically say, okay, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm consuming my data from somewhere, right? Maybe stream process the data in the first step, and then I'm, I'm consuming the stream by, as an example, by, by, by basically filling... Um, by doing some batch processing, by, by filling a, a slow data store, right, for analytical purposes, long-running batches, right? So, and on the other hand side, I'm, I'm basically also filling fast data stores for the real-time portion, right? And then I have a serving layer which is combining the batch processed view 
Um, so meaning batch processing results then in materialized views at the end mm -hmm. uh, within uh, within your analytical uh, database. This is, by the way, also how most analytical databases are doing it, right? So those hypercubes are uh, heavily materialized uh, already, right? Pre pre aggregated, pre materialized, yeah. let's say, right? Um, so and then uh, what you do is you combine this stuff then with uh, with the real time view, right? So the real time processing of the data in a NoSQL database system. It's, so it's not one or the other uh, in reality. Then it's a combination of everything a bit, right? Uh, let's say, and it depends on how this is looking like exactly. It depends on the pipeline and the data engineer mm. would would take some decisions how to build this pipeline and which tools are used in order to fulfill this pipeline, right? So it could be something like yeah, just stream processing, consuming processing data further uh, it could be just a serial etl uh, chain let's say right it could be something like a lambda architecture where you split up into real time versus uh, versus batch uh, processing uh, and so on right so okay, this so that's what you mean with lambda yeah it's good you define yeah, exactly. that because in the context of aws lambda has a very specific meaning Right. Yeah, so exactly. The, There's so a lambda a function, bit, but the yeah. lambda lambda architecture here is meaning um, that you basically have a like a you lambda simple exactly like yeah. a fork in the road whereby okay. uh, you basically have uh, the data going to the batch processing layer and all sure. be batch processed yeah. there, um, maybe slowly, but uh, you materialize the results then uh, there, right? And the, the real time uh, stuff is processed in real time. And when um, you would like to to basically get some insights, yeah. you combine the the pre-materialized results with the real-time results in order to get uh, your your result back. Again, right? It's one way to to basically process data. The other one would be to kind of do a data lake and do whatever on it, right? And the other one would yeah. be to to stream process the data and and so on, right? The other one would be to just uh, chain ETL uh, steps like we did in the good old days with data warehouses, <laughs> right? Where we basically had different uh, data marts or whatever, right? Or uh, sources, we, we fetch the data via an ETL process from a relational database system, for instance, right? Yeah. Which had it in specific uh, formats, more mainly domain specific, right? So the application data, like a retail application had a database and we fetched it from there or an ERP had a database, we fetched the data from there, we, we took it, uh, uh, put it into an ETL chain. It was more like a, a real chain, let's say the pipeline in this case. And then at the end of the chain, we, we kind of materialize the data back into our mm. Snowflake schema, for instance, right? And then the, the reporting tool of your choice did some multidimensional analysis on it or some simple reporting, which is more like the traditional data warehousing stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, Just quickly going back to, to stream processing, I find this real-time stuff pretty interesting because that's also how you do sort of real-time alerting, right? So you can have your, your user interaction events running on a stream and you can have a lambda, this time a lambda function, right? Looking mm -hmm. at a running sort of a shifting window of the data and you could detect, right, maybe maybe there's a user and suddenly that user has 100,000 downloads from over the world, which is obviously impossible for a single user. So his, his access might have been leaked, his credentials. Right, and that's the sort of thing you could do with real-time stream processing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the tooling yeah. is slightly different. The patterns behind the scenes are not too different, exactly. Or, I mean, no, no. Or, I mean, real-time ETL versus batch ETL, fine, right? The the insights are different. The use case is different, but uh, mm. and tooling is different, but. Conceptually, we get it, right? Conceptually, yeah, yeah, we, build, we, we build a pipeline which takes some data, processes the data, uh, 
in specific ways and then we use tools in order to to kind of alert or to report or whatever right mm. in real time maybe we use grafana for uh for real-time reporting purposes and alerting right uh, yeah or, or as, a, as an example right in this case aws kinesis data analytics yeah yeah, yeah well, many well, things well, are available whatever whatever works for for you right uh, whereby for for traditional right. data warehousing we do it more in batches and then use uh, bi tools on top of it hmm. completely to different tool chain but uh uh, different domain, let's say, but uh, if you yeah. if you come down, if you decouple it a bit from the domain, right? Uh, uh, what you get is, and I think this is the point about data engineering, right? What you get is basically you get the definition of a pipeline, right? And, yes, uh, and some tools that are helping you to kind of fulfill exactly. This pipeline, right? Yeah, it's all very very interesting and and very valuable to customers, immensely valuable. Many companies, well, they, they say that sort of next big jump in value add is to figure out what to do with all the data that they have right yeah. so so you know that that's where the money is M maybe less in data engineering because that is well I, I don't want to talk down on it but that's you know Heaven. the first steps of the enabling step and then the, the yeah. deep value generation comes from the data scientists to actually take conclusions from the data learn to fish as you say Right. Yeah. So, yeah. what would, would be if it's, it would be if it's, uh, it's actually it's actually funny, right? I, I mean, I, I, I'm working a bit in this space since a while. I had also some customer projects in in the big data field and so on, and I don't want to downplay it, right? It's all true, and this historical data which they gathered over ages, right, is, mm -hmm. is for sure has some value, maybe, maybe not. Uh, and this is the point, maybe not, right? Maybe not, yeah. Uh, this big, big data stuff uh, it was also a little bit of buzzword, which was really overstressed sometimes uh, without need, let's say, right? It's where, so, so meaning, indeed, it's cool to gather all this data and so on, right? But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if a lot of enterprises have tons of data and they never will do anything with it. Right, and at some point, this data <laughs> will actually be worthless, right? Because data ages, data over ages, yeah, uh, over the that. time, right? So the information which is within this data is basically at some point no longer of use, right? And no one is cleaning this stuff up and so on, right? And and I, I'm actually wondering how many da big data projects in this context, especially with data lakes and whatever, are actually really as successful as anticipated by buying into this big data story initially, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's it's just a question. I'm not sure. I, I'm not questioning it at all in, in general, right? I'm, I'm not saying it's useless or whatever, but I, I'm saying that uh, maybe sometimes well, the idea was a bit overused, right? Because it was a hype word or whatever. It, yeah, it, it is. Yeah, no, f fair enough. It is a hype and we are all familiar with this hype curve. But if it's valuable, it's it's really valuable. You know, there's this old anecdote from a supermarket, right, who just... That, what did they introduce? How do you call this? We call it a club card, right? So you have some sort of card that you show, uh, you know, a loyalty card sort of thing, right? Yeah, so basically, to, points to, so, so rewards points. With the idea of it obviously being that all your purchases are tied back to your unique user ID, right? Which is yeah. the whole point of this whole thing, <laughs> exactly. right? And so what they did, so they, they analyzed the data, I don't know, machine learning or whatever, they used and for a particular customer they noticed a trend so the trend that no alcohol was purchased anymore so um, moisturizing creams the brand changed to a brand that was more natural no chemicals yeah. and the machine 
pregnancy. Thought, yeah. let's, let's pregnancy. Pregnancy, and, exactly. And, and, and of course, so the, the action was to send some uh, diaper vouchers for diapers, right, to the address. Yeah. The, the thing is, uh, her parents didn't know that she was pregnant, and this is how they found out. So it's a nice uh, little yeah. anecdote. So I'm saying if the data is valuable, it is it is really valuable. I, I don't have any any sort of numbers on how their turnover has changed, but I'm sure it made by, a by big the way, impact. their shameless promotion of a book, which I really like, and author, right? Marco Bekling uh, wrote a book uh, called Quality Land or Quality Land Two, where basically <laughs> I think your your employer AWS is is kind of a little bit uh, I've uh, read focus, focused uh, focused in this book, uh, right? Is there it's a second the shop? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a second oh, there's one. a second one. I I really enjoyed the first one. It's really uh, really good. Yeah. So so yeah, maybe yes. uh, people should read it. Right, it's it's kind of describing what Thomas uh, just said in a in a very funny way. Right. So, yeah. By having a lot of story around it uh, and more. Right. Uh, actually, we should not like this stuff, right? We, because we are on Meh. the dark side in this well, story. <laughs> this we're we're allowed to have an opinion. <laughs> anyway. Still, I, I mean, I, I think we're still allowed. I haven't checked my emails lately, but I think we're still allowed an opinion. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Uh, my, my opinions <laughs> are my own or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, should add this to my Twitter feed uh, or Twitter yeah. account. Does, right. I'm, uh, I'm not sure if it legally makes any difference, but I yeah, don't think I so. I have it there too. So there you go. Okay. Data um, scientist. Data science. Yeah. Okay. So fine. Mm. So just to summarize it, because we're talking a lot. Um, so data engineering again, right? What they are using is something like uh, tools like ETL tools, uh, Spark, Airflow for job scheduling, whatever. Talent ETL maybe still for batch processing. They're using some stream platforms like Kafka, Redis Streams, Kinesis, mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Uh, also, they need to deal with different data stores, different data models, and so on, right? And what they are having as their main job responsibility, I would say, is to to kind of build data pipelines, right? And to enable. Yeah. To enable data science, right? right? And now now so we have data kind of gathered via data pipeline. It is sitting around in the right format in a in a data store uh, or maybe not in the right format in a data lake. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and now and now the data scientist uh, is kicking in. So what does the data scientist do? Um so the data so right. So you have the data, right? And now as you say, no. learning to fish. So um First of all, you need to clean things up. And that's what I, what I also hear from data scientists is probably the most work, what they do, cleaning up, removing uh, outliers and anomalies, prepare the data, put it into a, a format that the tools can understand, that sort of thing. Filter out stuff, well, that's kind of removing outliers, uh, do aggregations. Right. So in, in many cases, machine learning works better on aggregated values rather than these big unstructured data. Uh, segmentation or categorization is important. That's all. Yeah, that, that, that's all that, that sort of stuff, aggregation and labeling. And then after you've done all that, after you have your clean, sanitized data, you can look at, well, if, if it is machine learning you're doing, you can look at starting some, some models, training some models on top of the data, tweaking them until you get the outcome. Uh, there's another whole set of tools there. There is uh, R and TensorFlows and Scikit and Jupyter Notebooks. I actually used a Jupyter Notebook the other day for the first time ever. And I can understand why it's so popular. 
it's really cool you read through the thing and then a little bit of code comes there's a button okay so execute this code now right you need an access key put that in here and then execute this code and here's your graph your output it's yeah it's yeah, yeah, yeah I can see why it's so popular. It's really, really popular. Cool. I think uh, Google, for instance, maybe also AWS, and uh, I think Databricks as well, different vendors, let's say, right, are providing uh, actually Jupyter Notebooks now as a service. I used this in a workshop yeah. uh, a few weeks ago, right? There was a yeah. training workshop, and uh, what they did is basically said, just go to this Google service, which is... Mm -hmm. uh, having this or that workbook uh, and you can run it uh, out yeah, of the yeah. box there, right? The environment is already set up. There's a Python yeah. environment embedded or whatever. Right? AWS has this too. It's in the SageMaker family of products. You can say uh, your, your Jupyter Notebook is in this GitHub repository and what do you want? Yeah, I want a virtual machine with the specs mm -hmm. and then it, it just fires it up for you. It's really Yeah, convenient. exactly. This is how, how it works there as well. I forgot how the Google service is called, but what you can basically do is you can point to a Jupyter Notebook, which is in a, in a GitHub repo and then it will basically... Uh, I probably just bring a Docker container up in the background, mm. right, and serve, serve it to you. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I forgot what it's called in Google as well. Uh, Azure has has this, of course, as well. I think that their name was just Machine Learning Workbench or, or something. Um, yeah, my my favorite. And I'm not just saying that because I worked at SageMaker. Such a such a cool name, right? The wise device sage like the oracle who answers question to you and there is yeah. a maker so you can create your wise sage it's it's a really yeah, cool yeah. name if you ask me but anyway <laughs> um <laughs> i'm not just saying this because they pay me right uh, but um, yeah. uh, right so maybe you get a bonus from our aws's marketing department after this podcast or whatever <laughs> I, I very much doubt they listen to it um yeah, so. right Thomas, so, uh, we listened hello. to your podcast. Here is a check. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> As if. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, fine. I, I mean, anyway. what, what I did is uh, a while ago, I was reading a data science book, a very big, large book, thousand, because I was interested in what it is. Uh, unfortunately, the, the knowledge is not really fresh in my in my head, but I, I was reading it a bit. Uh, I'm not sure if I actually completed it. It's still on my list. It's, it's I think, the standard book for data science in a sense. And mm -hmm. the first chapters of it uh, were mainly not about artificial intelligence and stuff like that, right? But more about statistics and uh, how to separate data, how to extract uh, meaningful information from data, how to avoid that you basically have uh, too much redundancies, blah, blah, right? So it was more like uh, statistical uh, mechanisms as you would see in mathematics usually, right? In order to get uh, some some information about your data, let's say, right? And uh, I would say this falls under this feature extraction, right? So before you yeah. can actually extract features, you need to analyze the data uh, mathematically, statistically. Uh, um, and after you did this, you can start uh, to predict stuff or to, to approximate or extrapolate stuff, right? And then uh, kind of machine learning kicks in. But uh, yeah. I would say if machine learning is, is kind of useless without having having a data set which is uh, kind of prepared well enough in order to, to yeah. predict what you're looking for. That's the thing, yeah. If, if you can solve a problem, so I think there's sort of a scale of how difficult a problem is right if you can solve it in a statistical way i would say i mean it's still an immensely complicated problem surely but it's sort of at the beginning right so you you know your model i mean if you can statistically solve it 
you you know your you know how it works right so you have a model which you express in a statistic in statistic equations right so you know your problem but uh, with the, the next step with machine learning i you don't have that model you don't have that mental model you you don't you don't really know how to get from the input to the output whereas in a statistical model you can express that you know yeah, i think we, we have this as uh, or what we discussed right uh, we had this uh, was basically this known unknowns yes. versus unknown unknowns or whatever right so yeah. so 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 uh, meaning in in a sense it is like that right so you take the data which you mm -hmm. have and you you know this data and you can get some information out of this data maybe some insights you don't know yet right by by doing some data mining mm -hmm. and so on or by applying statistical methods and so on, separating, clustering data, whatever, segmenting data, right? But uh, uh, you need to have this data. So you, you're, not, you're, you're getting insights, but the information was already within the data. It was already there, right? So meaning this is the known knowns in a sense, right? Uh, whereby uh, with with something like uh, machine learning, the idea is, and, and we come to this maybe when we talk about uh, our neural networks are a little bit working, but uh, let's say at the end, any any kind of neural network is actually just a function approximator, right? So it's an, an n-dimensional input and n-dimensional output. Yes. But what it does is it approximates your function and uh, this approximation basically tells you, okay, hey, I, I can extrapolate something based on another yeah. input right which i didn't see before maybe right so it, yeah but, it but this yeah and this, this is the unknown the, this is the unknown this is the unknown yeah this is sort of the, the thing well there's a sort of unknown unknowns or unknown knowns where you have you have all the inputs and you have all the outputs but you don't know what the function is in the middle uh, exactly it, it right. approximates it right so it's basically yeah. not explicitly given let's say whereby when you do apply statistical methods maybe i'm mathematically wrong but i would say you can basically talk about the function itself right so you can basically you have the mapping directly in front of you for the given stuff right and at, at least this uh, for the given data you can describe uh, the function explicitly via this mapping maybe you not strictly mathematically but uh, for this mapping at least right mm -hmm. uh, and uh, if you would like to to uh, get other values on different data which are yeah, approximated by the same function you need to approximate it somehow and this is what the uh, uh, what the machine what the artificial what the neural network does for you at the end right uh, yeah exactly i mean going back to my sort of pregnancy thing i don't think you need a neural network for that you could just say you know if you can just if, use a decision tree here you could use right. a decision tree yeah if, if that behavior changes in that way that's an indicator for this condition well not that pregnancy is a condition well it is a condition yeah, you know what i exactly. mean exactly which means you don't back to the point right so ai doesn't need to use ml uh, but yeah ML exactly it's is common practice right now and deep learning uh, is basically the the new hot stuff right uh, <laughs> in this context it is um, is, yes. Okay. Go for it. Meaning, meaning also, what, what is the difference then between BI and data science? I mean, BI being being a bit dusted as a term, but uh, I well, it's it's going from it's it's sort of moving along on that sort of sliding scale from the I, I have the model, I have my input, I and my my model generates the output, and that's that that's the function that's more of sort of what BI is. And the data science is more going to the 
in inverted commas sort of harder problems where, where you don't have to model so you move from these known knowns to to unknown unknowns in a way right yeah. is, is that fair to say yeah it's fair to say exactly and uh, yeah yeah okay uh, okay so uh, what else uh, yeah maybe a bit about neural networks right because we already talk about neural networks and machine learning and uh, it's maybe a little bit uh, problematic for some of our listeners to to think about it without knowing what a neural network in computer science actually is and uh, i know you took some some focus in uni years ago ages ago right i uh, did for, yes um, Neuroscience, I think I did as well, right? Uh, same. Mm. But, but anyway, so uh, yeah, maybe you would like to explain a bit to the listeners. So uh, when yeah. you still remember <laughs> that? <laughs> Ooh, that's that's a tough one. Well, it's it's only oh, when when did I finish uni in two thousand and three? So that's eighteen years ago. So yeah, well, let's see what I can still remember. So a neural network, <clears throat> it comes sort of out of biology. It tries to emulate so the idea is to emulate an actual brain so you have you have the equivalent of a neuron and you have the equivalent of connections between neurons and you have some way in which the neurons change over time in which they adapt in which they learn and this is in in computing terms this is expressed in well the neurons are some function right so they have an input and they generate an output in in a, a defined mathematical way and they have uh, coefficients or or weights right one per neuron multiple per neuron depending on what the actual function is and these these weights or coefficients are being changed as part of the learning right so if that weight for an individual neuron changes that means that output changes right so if maybe if a weight goes down then the the, the number of the output goes down so the, the output becomes less significant maybe this this neuron is doing a wrong thing that is not desired for the outcome of the overall result so you would put the weight down to make to, to shut that neuron up to say oh uh, yeah okay i don't like what you're outputting be a bit more quiet so that sort of thing that's how that learning works right so you have these neurons you have these weights and these neurons are connected to other neurons right so so the output of one neuron becomes the input of another one and obviously this isn't this isn't chaotic so it's not every neuron connects to other neuron because no, it depends then, on the neural network well it depends right, it, but, it uh, could be but well you know 20 years ago when i learned that we talked about layers sort of multiple layers i, I and, think this is still uh, the case right all right right so and maybe the, the output of all neurons in layer zero would become the input of of the neurons in layer one and so on right output yeah. layer one becomes the input to layer two and so on right so the the, the signal propagates through the layers and sometimes and it propagates back. This is what I back propagation is what I still remember, back, right? Back propagation. I wonder if back propagation was a, a, a it was a learning algorithm, right? So yeah, it's would, a learning algorithm, right? Because so this the, uh, yeah. this structure is useless without uh, having That's something it. which adapts the weights. Well, right? exactly. Yeah, the, the secret source, as they as they say, <laughs> is the learning, right? So so how do you learn, right? So you have this this structure of layered neurons. And you give it an input, I don't know, picture of a dog, whatever. And then the output would say cat, right? And then you go back 
this is the back propagation part you yeah. go back to your to your output layer and say okay who of you guys said cat right um okay so not me but the layer below me these neurons were very adamant that it is cat and what you then do is you you dial the weight a bit down for the cat neurons and say okay you guys are wrong it's not a cat um, not, i mean it depends on so, the learning algorithm but as far yeah, as i yeah, remember I mean, you feed it very feed very it back simplified into the input way. layer again right so meaning well, yeah, yeah. Just or, or, depends right i mean there's also reinforcement learning where you basically have more anyway but uh, i i get the point right so yeah, so just sort of for, for a simplified mental model and basically how it all works. You find the neurons that create the, the false output and dial them down in, in some way, in some algorithmic way, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So you adapt the weights uh, based on an algorithm, the learning algorithm, basically, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, it, it's actually interesting, right? I still remember this uh, this book, which I we had as a standard book, uh, I think, or was he one of the co-authors i'm not sure anymore but um the 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 book was actually quite interesting because uh because i still remember the graphics about uh, how neurons are looking in reality versus the mathematical model right so something like mm -hmm. hey uh, there was this postsynaptic uh, gap uh, between it right and you had basically the the inputs and the weights were basically um basically the hormones right the, the uh, uh, kind of oh, right. concentration of hormones uh, as transport uh, let's say uh, for transporting the the uh, the information uh, let's say right and um, as, as soon as there was a specific threshold reached and the the, the neuron was firing and uh, the the output uh, Axion, maybe Axion or however. Ax ax axion sounds right. Yeah, uh, exactly. Was then becoming becoming, uh, let's say, the input of the other neurons again, right? And the mathematical model in the in the simplest way would be basically exactly this, right? You have a bunch of inputs. You weight the inputs. Uh, so you have an input vector. You have a weight vector, basically, right? Mathematically seen. Um, you you multiply the inputs with the uh, with the weights uh, and if it kind of reaches a specific threshold you you basically let the output fire right and then there yeah there were different activ activation functions and whatever right you could have yeah. a, a kind of a very simple sum uh, function or whatever right or more yeah. more complex uh, functions so, for, for letting yeah, it fire yeah. and so on so this would be a subset right so this would be if if the if, if a neuron can output one or zero, right? If it's active or not. This is, I think, what we mean with fire versus no fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Fire, yeah. fire. And then, but the output is weighted again on the, as the input of the other euro, neuron yeah. and so on, right? So there were learning algorithms that, if I remember correctly, that were just feeding the arrow back into the input layer. And based on that, um, the, the neurons didn't fire or fired, right? Uh, uh, based on the, the, the fed back input, let's say, right? And mm -hmm. and uh, so this this propagation happened again, right? And again, until mm. you reach the desired uh, function approximation. So meaning you had the training. It this may be also interesting. We didn't explain this. Maybe good enough yet. Uh, so meaning there there is always some data which you already know, right? And this is the first step as we talked about, right? There's no known stuff. Uh, so you pre-classify your data for instance, or you, you basically approximate, you don't approximate the, the value, you know the value in the first step, right? And this is your training data in a, in a sense. And mm -hmm. then you feed this in and maybe decide if uh, the output was right or wrong, as you said, cat or not cat, right? Let's yeah. say, uh, or with which probability the, uh, the specific class was hit or whatever, right? And then 
um, uh, based on the training data, you, you trained your model. And then after you trained your model, you give it actual data, right? So not yes. just training data, maybe the another data the, set. Which the verification use. set. Yeah. yeah, the verification set and verify, hey, uh, is did I overtrain my model, right? Yes. So, or did or, I did I undertrain my model or whatever, right? That's, yeah, yeah, there's an interesting story about it. Yeah, it's all about now explainability to say, okay, why has this model now created this output, right? There's an interesting story that they wanted to uh, create a, a neural network that would detect a dog breeds. Right, so is it is it a, a dachshund? Is it a schnauzer? Is it is it a husky? Right, and it became really really good. So especially is it a husky or is it not a husky? It was spot on, hundred percent of the time. <laughs> training data, perfect. I'm and seeing where soon, this is going, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know where it's going. And as soon as they introduced some some new pictures, it would completely break down. Right, yeah. it didn't it didn't recognize the huskies anymore. And when they analyzed it, they noticed that as soon as there's snow on the picture, it would detect the husky because all the, <laughs> the training photos had snow in the background for huskies. Yeah. Right, and this yeah. is going back to explainability. Why why did yeah. it create the output, which yeah. is which is hard. It's it's not as easy as it sounds. I have, a, I have another story about this. I actually did, a, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about this, but I guess it's not a, a total secret. So I, I had a project uh, where I basically wrote uh, an application which did vector similarity search for images. So maybe, uh, so I, I was what not that mean? actively developing. So what this is, is basically you have an image, um, like you said, uh, a dog with some snow on it, right? And whatever. So you have a bunch of images and what you do is you, you map this image to a vector space, right? So meaning you, you basically are, take this image and you, you basically derive a, a vector, a mathematical vector out of this image, right? And so, then so uh, a vector would be as an n-dimensional array, n-dimensional just, array, just yeah, an yeah. array of numbers, right? Exactly, an yeah. array of numbers. Uh, so meaning n-dimensional, blah blah, right? So and uh, the idea is the following: um, the the neural network. So the way how you do it is the neural network would basically uh, get you a vector within the vector space, which is close to another vector, which shows a similar yeah. image, let's say, right? That so it's sense. not just, it's, it's not just a, a simple classification or like, Hey, this is a classification number, uh, whatever, right? Number one is Husky. Number two is uh, Dachshund or whatever. It's like, uh, like a position within the vector space. And, mm -hmm. uh, if the position is, uh, is, is close by, right? Has a specific distance within, within this vector space. Yeah. So you need to do some distance measurements there as well, right? Then, uh, yeah, uh, then uh, it is showing something similar, right? And yeah. um, uh, I did this for retail use case or this project was in a, I was not a developer. I was more in, involved in the design phase and so on, right? Uh, of this application. And uh, so what we basically realized is that uh, sometimes we put something into this retail or into the cam, right? For, for finding out if this, is, uh, if this is something specific, right? It, it would come up with com something completely different, right? And uh, the problem we had is we had too many, we didn't do our job well enough to exclude some stuff up front, right? And this is the point. The point is the, the model does only work as good as your data, which you put in is working uh, in, a, in a sense. And we didn't clean up enough, right? Uh, so we go. I mean, you, you should not clean up everything to the point that it's only 
possible to realize this or that, right? This is wrong as well, right? Because the, you over-specialize this stuff too much then. But let's uh, uh, say what happened is we had a lot of album and DVD covers in the database as images, right? And and uh, came out that album covers, so audio CDs, CD covers and uh, DVD, Blu-ray covers, whatever, right? They they are showing whatever you want, right? So. So meaning they are showing humans, they are showing dogs, they are showing sure. microphones, they are showing whatever, right? So what we need to do is we need to to massage the data in a way that uh, we we found a way to categorize the data upfront as an album cover, right? Uh, by cleaning the the input data set to, to a degree that it was actually more meaningful than. Uh, to categorize this. So Amazon m must have the same issue, let's say, right? So you can't just use one single neural network function approximator to find this out. Maybe you need to have others, let's say, that are uh, approximating another function, let's say, in order to pre-filter your data based on some stuff, right? So maybe in the first step, you, you need to identify or maybe even not using ML, just using categories uh, uh, as, a, as a metadata uh, property let's say on your on your on your product right in order to find out is this something which is kind of uh, yeah polluting my 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 mm. my training set too much or yeah i think everyone has the same problem it's just mathematical problems you know that are universal yeah, and it's the same thing yeah. as with the snow, right? So meaning, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, exactly. So just what, what you should have you know. done is I didn't find out upfront, right, that uh, your your data is <laughs> screwed up by this uh, those snow pictures, and I guess this is data science, right? This is the, what data yeah. science is about at the end. Right? So it, yeah, so it still requires an amount of intuition to to look at these pictures and say, oh well, wait a minute. Yeah, uh, and that's why we are data scientists, and that's why they own insane. Or let's say, maybe not intuition, but feature extraction, right? Someone should have done okay. his job better in the first step to extract the features and properties correctly of those pictures by finding out, okay, hey, this is an album cover. This is an image mm, which shows exactly. snow, right? And then based on this, or uh, and again, this is data science, right? In a, as, as I understand it, right? This, the, if someone would have done his job right by by filtering out the the different features and statistically analyzing them, then it would have been possible to use more cleaned up data in order to feed it into this uh, yeah. doc categorization or classification network, right? And then uh, the result would have been better, let's say, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Cool. Oh, um, right. Yeah. So maybe a funny, funny story is right. So why, why are so talk, having talked about this stuff uh, since an hour almost? Uh, the the question is a little bit. Uh, why is AI not yet as smart as humans, right? Is uh, I mean, the, it seems we, we kind of adopted a concept which is in our brains, like neurons, uh, yeah. different layers, uh, deep networks, right? Uh, we have learning algorithms that are sounding a little bit similar, something like... Uh, uh, reinforcement learning and stuff like this, right? Sounds similar as <clears throat> as we learn, right? So reinforcement learning, yeah, just exactly. as a side note, is like uh, like uh, maximizing reward, right? So we we do if positive uh, amplification, let's mm. say, right? So or, or or the opposite, right? Yeah, or or, so or pain, right? So, so whatever yeah. So if best, if you right, touch so. the hot stove, then <laughs> you learn something. Yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah, you exactly. don't do it again, right? So, you don't do it again, uh, ideally. 
Or you exactly. have to fall 1,000 times before you can walk, yeah. let's say, right? So the ki my so kids at least uh, were falling a bunch of well, times yeah. uh, <laughs> on their noses <laughs> before they managed to, to, to work, walk without issues, right? Uh, That's true. So do you think if we can simulate an actual brain with the same amount of neurons, I don't know how many billion, I think every brain has more neurons than there are people on Earth, right? Uh, much more. If we have that computing power, I don't think we have it today. And actually, the, the speed, I, I once read that the brain, sort of the, the, the frequency, right? So the calculation frequency is something like 36 kilohertz. So that's something we could probably manage, but it's I heard probably one megahertz. But okay, yeah, maybe. You're right. Well, it's yeah. it's in the ballpark, right? It, it's yeah, something the, that the, the computer can the, easily the, do. Yeah, but it's right. highly paralyzed, right? So I mean, that's the you, thing. The frequency, the frequency is not the only criteria, right? So the the, the parallelism is the, is the, the, main the connections thing. and the the many individual computing cores, yeah. if, if you want. Right? What basically so, yeah. fires in parallel, right? So it's, yes, it's not the just the rate, the rate in which you find out that someone something fired like uh, normal CPUs, right? Or a little bit more mm. serialized and only paralyzed to a specific degrees. Let's say eight threads in a in a in a uh, typical uh, desktop CPU or whatever, yeah. right? Or sixteen threads, uh, whereby I think the brain is much more multi-threaded, <coughs> but it's at much, a lower yeah. frequency, right? Yeah. It's it's much more yeah, it's multi-threaded. There are also these these weird stories. We're only using ten percent of our brain, which is total nonsense. Nature would never allow such waste. I'm not right? sure if this is nonsense, but I'm yeah. <laughs> Well, that, well, maybe that's for true some in my people. Case, maybe, but... maybe true. Right? <laughs> Might be true. Just in my kidding. Case, but, but generally, <laughs> but generally, I think this is disproven. Also, this 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 idea that if you learn too much, you forget something else. Uh, I think it has been proven that your brain has more than enough storage capacity, and the only reason that you become slower with remembering stuff or slower to retrieve stuff is because of the sheer amount of things, right? It just takes longer to find a path in your brain to get to that particular memory and retrieve it. So you don't I forget think, um, as such, it just gets lost in your brain. Yeah, right? I think uh, it's a it's a good thing to talk, think about this function approximator in, in a sense again, right? So the, uh, mm. let's say your brain is also a function approximator in a sense, right? So meaning it's it's actually an associative memory. So the, you can't explicitly ask for for something. You don't have yeah. something like a like a I don't know like a bucket in your brain, and you know this bucket has number blah blah or a, a, an address, and can it's say, not hey, a hash function. Like, no, exactly. You can't <laughs> say, "Hey, at this address, I I'm finding this information." Right. So it's not like mm. like an actual like a memory in a in a computer. <clears throat> what it is 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 more you need to have, to get something associative in in order to get something out. Right. And yeah. I believe the this is the problem. Right. We are, we are yeah. just not. We are just not able to associate some of the information anymore, right? Maybe it's still there, yeah. but it, it's implicitly stored. But uh, our our yeah. our ability to associate it uh, by by That's... having the right picture or smell, whatever, at, exactly. at this point of time is is limited. And associations are connections, so basically a path, right? And if yeah. you lose the association, you lose the path. And uh, as I say, the, the the memory is not lost. Well, it 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 is not lost as it's lost out of your brain it's still there you just can't get to it anymore yeah exactly exactly yeah. maybe at some point it reforms by being written in such cases but yeah yeah in some cases but yeah you're right so, it's, it's it's like obvious if you if you, for instance every one of us right had some 
sometimes maybe you go to a restaurant and they have a specific soup or whatever, right? And you didn't eat the soup for years. And, and then you take, you take one yes. spoon of the soup and it reminds you something in your childhood and you have immediately the same situation as in your childhood, something like mm. your mother or your grandmother, right, around you in the kitchen. Or even if I'm talking now about yeah, this, yeah. right, it is basically giving me this association and I'm yeah, remembering yeah, exactly. something. I was a child being in the kitchen of my grandma and without having this... I, if someone would have asked me, hey, what did you do that day when you were three years mm-hmm. old or whatever, right? I would not have been able to talk about it, right? I would have, uh, I don't know, right? Yeah. But but just this story now is triggering an association which puts me back into this kitchen yeah. at an age of three years, right? Being with my yeah. grandmother or something. That's like a that. really cool story. Yeah, and yeah, that's exactly it. We don't We don't really forget things. There are people apparently with the perfect memory. So if you ask them what they've done on a Tuesday in in March ten years ago on the second March or whatever, they would be able to tell you exactly what. Yeah, they did. but uh, I think they train it. Uh, it. It's it's interesting, right? What they do is they basically train it by by kind of uh, op- perfectionizing how to to access associations, right? Yeah. So what they have is basically they they. They kind of map uh, their memory to something like virtual buildings or palaces or however they call it, yeah, right? Yeah. And then they they basically have specific associations bound to specific places within mm-hmm. those virtual places in order to access their memory more like like memory addressable, let's say, right? Yeah, by yeah. by tricking a little bit the associative uh, constructs uh, in yeah. a. In a in a, in a way, right? Which we, as normal persons, don't do, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> why? What, what, why do I need to know where I was 10 years ago? Nah, right? exactly. The problem is life is complicated enough, right? It is. It is. I, I, yeah, mean, I, I can hardly The, the reality is already compl- complicated enough, right? I don't need to have a virtual reality on top of my reality in order yeah. to... <laughs> <laughs> so if we can simulate a brain sort of computationally at the same complexity with the same amount of neurons, do you think that brain would become conscious? Because no, what what, what is self self awareness other than sort of an emergent feature of a complex no, I system? I think uh, I think that uh, again we discussed it right. Uh, the problem the problem is that yeah. um, the the we structure itself it. yeah. the the structure uh, we even didn't record it. <laughs> we didn't record the, it. We discussed the, it. The, the structure it. the structure itself is not enough, right? It's learning algorithm in the next step and uh, the, ex- the learning source. itself, right? So the data which you put in uh, again, right? This uh, pre filtering the data getting the right data getting the right impressions learning it and so on right and and i think the the problem with uh, having a computer which is uh, which is having all the neurons of a brain let's say maybe in a in a kind of simplified way uh, is still that this computer would need to experience the life of a human and maybe we can yeah. do this maybe we can we can extract the experience of a human and uh, and put it into this brain but i i believe this is actually the hard part maybe right to to take mm. the the actual real experience of a human being and uh, to map this input well enough right all the dimensions of this input well enough are uh, into this into this network let's say right so yeah. there it's a it's a two-sided problem right so the first part is okay hey we need to have something which is uh, having the compute power parallel computer blah blah right with all the neurons and so on and i'm not sure if if this is impossible maybe it is possible right 
Uh, but then uh, you you have so many dimensions as input and uh, mm -hmm. so many combinations as input, or uh, which is basically our life, right, or childhood or whatever. Yeah. And you would need to simulate this, and uh, you you would yeah. need to do this without all the pollution around, right? So meaning, yeah, I suppose so. Which is already a problem for something like simple image recognition, right? So to get input which is not polluted or which is not mm. basically noisy, right? Uh, as we just uh, discussed, right? And now okay. imagine you would like to do get this input for life, right? For for an actual life yes. of a human being in order to get something out. But it's an That's interesting philosophical question, actually, right? So because my my yeah. pre my assumption my presumption here is that uh, you need to have the life of a person in order to get an intelligent person, whatever, right? But mm -hmm. uh, how, it's it's actually, I'm not sure which uh, philosophy direction it is, but there, there is this concept of a tabula rasa, right? And the, the question is, is, is a human actually a human uh, if he is born and is he empty or not? And how much stuff is already there? How much stuff is basically yeah. within pre-programmed how much stuff needs to be learned right and uh, this is also the question right so yeah. philosophically that, that, seen is this brain which we build up right as a as a pure empty construct is this actually near nearly a human because we seem to be pre-programmed to a specific yes. point right so, so so there must there must be a firmware right so if if you if if you feel sort of some sort of pain in my stomach, so that there must be some pre-programmed thing that tells you to go somewhere and shove some stuff in your mouth. Yeah, right? exactly. So there has to be something, and a, a, a cat isn't necessarily trained to to run after a mouse, so that sort of thing. So there has to be something that's passed on through your DNA from generation to generation, some sort of firmware. It yeah, has to be. But, exactly. But how exactly. much of that this is? I don't know. And how do you get this firmware basically out of a brain into, I think this is the hard question, right? I mean, there, there are three hard problems. First, uh, to get an abstraction of the brain as, a, as an yep. artificial network. Second, to get uh, all the input, uh, right, in order to train it, right? Um, and, uh, and a learning algorithm, algorithm which reflects this stuff well enough, right? And then uh, the third thing is, how do you transfer the initial bootstrapped state from an actual human That's brain it. into this into this artificial network yeah. in order to start something like a, a human train training, let's say, right? Yeah. I mean, these are the hard questions. I mean, going back to the sort of the second thing, how do you experience a life? I think the answer would be to, to sort of simulate a world around yeah, this brain yeah, in, yeah, in which yeah. it can live. Yeah. And, you know, that raises the question, maybe we exist in some sort of simulation already oh right? man and, and, now we're <laughs> talking about the metrics again the metrics right well, yeah the, the, the <laughs> matrix explored that thing but uh, yeah uh, so the thing i was going to there was some philosophical text i read articles about that and it, it, it sort of the conclusion is if we were in such a simulation there would be no way of telling Ah, right. So not, we we, right. we could be living, you know, that there's no way to disprove that we are not living in the simulation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's like a like a I think it's a it's also some some common thing out of system theory, right? You can't within the system you you can't yeah. basically observe the system from the outside, right? <laughs> you're because you're in the system, so it would anyway hard for us to to make any judgment on that, right? It's a, it's a kind of given. 
Uh, yeah, it's when engineers and and philosophers come to the same conclusion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because good. If you're if you're in the system of the simulation, how can you say that this is a simulation, right? I mean, it's the only thing you have within the system, the only knowledge you have, right? So yeah, it's, you it's can't. Like, exactly. And uh, our scientists are finding weirder and weirder things that are harder and harder to, to understand, so the quantum mechanics and you know the the properties of dark matter, and you wonder is are we getting to the edges of the simulation now? <laughs> yeah, but, but I have to Stuff say, I'm, I'm, making I, sense. I mean, I'm not a scientist in this sense, right? I'm, I'm really not, and I'm, I'm not understanding all the aspects there because I'm, I'm not investing time and maybe I'm not smart enough and so on, right? But uh, but I, I, it's maybe just me, right? But I, I have the feeling that in, in this sense, right? If I, Always when I read some articles about this, I have the feeling that we are just <laughs> inventing stuff. Right, so we are basically making our models just more complex by inventing quirks, quarks, whatever. Right, we just give it weird, weird, yeah. weird names, and we kind of build mathematical models that make sense and so on. Yeah, but it's, but it's 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 mm. it's like it's for me as someone outs, outside of this scientific uh, area, right? It's really hard to understand if what we do there does actually at all makes sense right if it is not yeah. just i mean i mean and this is I, I think this is how science works right we basically have a thesis it's not proven anyway right we come we up with thesis, a story yeah, yeah. We, we need up yeah. we need to build a model right and if the model <laughs> doesn't work we, we tweak the model and tweak it and tweak it and tweak it right i wouldn't be surprised if all this model about this stuff right is totally wrong and this is the reason why it doesn't make sense at all right and yeah. we, need, we just need to conclude to another model later as soon as we have one yeah that's what it is yeah especially that that dark matter stuff sort of annoys me you know so oh physics doesn't work at sort of cosmic <laughs> uh, galaxy levels so there must be a thing which we can't see or measure let's call it dark matter okay yeah, yeah, explanation exactly. job done it it's, I, I don't know, it feels lazy. It just uh, yeah, it's, uh, but, yeah. But yeah, it makes sense to add this variable, right? So it's like, uh, like ah, yeah, we don't know what this is, but uh, let's it's put an, an epsilon. Call it to X. The, yeah, yeah let's put an epsilon yeah. to the equation, right? So we, we don't know what it is, but it's, it's, it's probably called epsilon, right? It's, this mm. is what it is. It's, it's not uncommon, right? The model then yeah. kind of works still, right? And there's this constant or variable, right? And uh, yeah, it's unknown or it's known to a specific degree kind of right the thesis kind of is fulfilled we we, we as humans with our limited capabilities yeah. are making sense out of it right by formulating mm. it in a mathematical way but if it the model is actually reflecting in any sense reality right it is totally questionable at the end yeah maybe that's yeah looking at through another lens maybe it's not we're coming to the edge of the simulation but we're coming to the edge of what our little monkey brain exactly exactly the right? maybe there is no yeah. simulation whatever right but uh, <laughs> anyway what would be i think it's the conclusion should not be that we are coming to the edge of the simulation because we can't explain it it's it's a, the conclusion is really that's fair we are not able to understand, understand. it because we we don't yeah. have enough knowledge we don't have enough facts we can't basically conclude we don't have enough data to make a meaningful decision right it's mm. like coming back to our uh, closing the circle right uh, coming back to our ml model right we have maybe uh, 
we have basically uh, this neural network, fine. And we maybe have a learning algorithm, but we have only very little training data, right? And mm. for some reason, our approximation of the world <laughs> doesn't make any sense, right? Because mm. we, we just don't know enough about it, let's say, right? Same if you train a neural network with too little data. A the exactly. Out the it's output's train, be it doesn't yeah. make any sense to... Uh, I mean, it, it makes sense maybe to approach it, but uh, if it makes sense, then... If the results make sense for you, maybe not, right? Okay, right. So, so I think we agree. We could probably simulate a brain when we solve these three problems, right? The bootstrapping problem, the <laughs> yeah, complexity it, it, problem, the degree, and the this problem. degree, right? But the question is if we will ever be able to solve this problem, right? So, but total, if we do, <laughs> turtles all the way down, right? Yeah, 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 we can solve this if we solve that. But if we, yeah. yeah we can solve that if we can solve that, right? <laughs> Totals like, all the way down. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Totals all the way down, right? Uh, okay, fine. Uh, I mean, I have only two little topics on my list and uh, we're running late anyway. Uh, so maybe a little bit about AI use cases. And surprisingly, what I found really nice is that the uh, our cloud vendors are doing a good job by providing AI services, uh, let's say, or ML services uh, uh, in, in a way. And uh, if we want to understand a bit what typical use cases are, my feeling is we just need to look at their services and then uh, we, we get a good uh, understanding, maybe not a complete picture, but at least the starting point, right? Yeah, no doubt. There was a, there was a good video comparing the top three cloud vendors. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'll search out the link later. But it's I think this is the race at the minute, you know, for, for all three of them to have similar mm -hmm. offerings. And yeah, I think they are looking pretty good. So obviously what the cloud I'm working for has probably arguably the most, at least that is my understanding. So the, the, the maybe the right. biggest choice, maybe. Other maybe, opinions are available. Other clouds are available, <laughs> yes. Azure and <laughs> GCP is available. So we have the SageMaker thing, which we've already mentioned, where you can just spin up a Jupyter notebook or train a model really easily. There is a thing which I quite like, which is uh, Comprehend. So just have a natural, just any, any sentence in text form, right? Throw it, edit, and it'll extract maybe a title, maybe an author. You know, maybe a, a topic, right? You could say uh, as a sort of, you could treat it to pre-process search queries. You could say, okay, um, give me all results related to COVID. Uh, hit comprehend with that sentence and it would come back with, I found one entity in here, which is uh, COVID and this is a topic, right? And then you could filter that into your search function. So that, yeah, that so sort of thing. So semantic analysis, basically. Yeah, so there are these, these yeah. I think you call them sort of weak AIs or maybe not in this context. So a already pre-trained AIs for specific use cases like Comprehend yeah. or there is stuff to, to, to uh, um, analyze your voice, which is Lex, which is inside of Alexa, obviously. Um, recognition for videos and images, uh, transcribe, which is the, the automatic subtitles on the videos. That's what transcribe does. Uh, 
personalized. There's a service called Personalize, which powers uh, the Amazon.com whenever it says, oh, users like you have also bought or uh, similar items stuff, to this, yeah. so recommendation engine. So the way this works is you feed all the interactions and an interaction might even be a user has seen this item as a search result and has ignored it. So that is also sort of a, a negative action if you want, right? So you, yeah, it's it's a, it's interesting. So what what it actually what such a service is actually is is uh, it gives you an API, a well-defined API, which is kind of can easily be consumed by applications, and it has already pre-trained models uh, behind the scenes and uh, allows you to basically That's or it. yeah update the model maybe on based on some some new yeah. information right uh, over over time. Yeah, but yeah. this you could also do as just explained with Redis AI, whereby you don't have to pre-train model. You need to have find it somewhere, right? But there are different let's say websites nowadays where you can basically sure. or download pre-trained models uh, this is already yeah. for some other projects like yeah, uh, yeah. yeah classification uh, models and so on right uh, yeah but but i think this is sort of um, aws talks about layers right so this is sort of the entry level layer just have a managed service that has a mm. pre-trained model sort of built in okay. that you just use right okay. and if you want to customize it you need to go down to the next layer and do something with uh, SageMaker or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah right? exactly so yeah, wondering what they are using as the feature store because something like Redis, um, uh, being in memory, being fast for real time stuff, right? It's actually also cool for as a as a feature store, and then with this AI extension, it's even cooler for for basically serving models because this is a, I mean, SageMaker okay. seems to have this addressed as well. I'm not sure what they are using, but. Uh, the model serving is also some something like a point, right? So you you train your model um, and finally you have it, right? But what do you do with it, right? So you would like yeah. to use it in action, embed it into an application, whatever. And so yeah, you need to you need to host it. You need to host it somewhere, yeah. right? And uh, yeah. you need to serve it somehow, and you need to serve it in a flexible way and so on. And uh, what Redis AI is, it has basically support for something like uh, this SkyKit and. Uh, what is the other one? TensorFlow and so on, right? You can out of the box of those stuff, this stuff within Redis AI, uh, mm. and it's ultra fast because in memory, blah blah, right? Uh, it's it's actually quite cool. Um, I used it already yeah. a few times for for some some demo projects, let's say, or minor mm. stuff, or the current project as well. We will use this. Um, Pretty cool, yeah. Isn't TensorFlow a Google thing? So I'd imagine the integration would be really good. No, nope, not Cloud sure platform. if it is. It is an open is it not? source. Maybe I'm mixing it up. Open source thing. I'm not sure if it is Google, to be really honest. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to do something more with machine learning. I mean, the next project coming up, obviously I can't talk about it, but it's it's doing some machine learning. And there's also a training at AWS called MLU Machine Learning University, which is a week-long training. And... Yeah, I need to carve out some time to do this. It's, it's super interesting. Uh, who owns TensorFlow? Uh, TensorFlow was developed by the Google Brain team for internal Google use. It was released yep. under the Apache license in 2015. Yeah, you're right. TensorFlow is actually oh. Google uh, or owned by Google. Yeah. Driven by so, Google. So I made the... I made the association in my brain and and retrieved that information. Yeah, yeah very good. Indeed. Yeah. indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe one last thing, if this is okay with you, I'm not sure. Um, Go for it. Is ML ops because uh, it's a bit disconnected, right? We can say it's a use case. So we talk about some use cases given those uh, 
AWS services like uh, uh, let's say semantic analysis or or language natural language processing and stuff like this, right? And um, something I realized ML Ops, and I have to admit, I, I misunderstood it when I heard the first time about it, right? I thought, hey, this is something right. like machine learning stuff in order to improve ops. But it's actually the other way around. Maybe there's also Ops ML. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, ML Ops is, is actually the other way around. And uh, it's actually quite cool to talk a bit about it because it rounds up our discussion by summarizing stuff a bit. Um, so meaning, okay. um, what is ML Ops? You know, everyone maybe knows what DevOps is, whereby I, I, I'm pretty sure DevOps is often misinterpreted. I'm not talking about this yet because it's something which sets me sometimes a bit up that this term DevOps was kind of totally <laughs> misinterpreted over the time. And, so it's, uh, uh, it's a whole nother kind of worms. Yeah, yeah, it started to, started to, be, uh, to, to be something which makes sense and now kind of describes something else. But anyway, if we, if we kind of uh, see DevOps as uh, something which helps you to deploy and may operate applications and whatever, which it originally wasn't, but anyway. Uh, so, and we see some some other stuff like automation, deployments, continuous integration, and so on as part of this uh, DevOps story as well, which is true. Um, then MLOps is kind of the same for ML stuff, for ML workloads, ML applications, use cases, whatever, right? Uh, so meaning we talked about data pipelines, data extractions, data analysis, uh, data preparation, model training, model evaluation, model serving, and maybe model monitoring was kind of not discussed yet. But this is also something which you often see in, in, in DevOps world, right? Monitoring, observability, mm -hmm. and so on, right? So meaning all, all this stuff around data up to basically training the data, up to evaluate, evaluating your models, up to serving your models, up to monitoring the performance of your models and so on, right? So if you take this this kind of, uh, yeah, let's say, let's also call it pipeline or workflow or whatever approach, let's say approach, uh, which you have in DevOps for, for kind of operating applications or uh, services or whatever, right? Systems in general. Um, and you transfer it to systems that are more ML focused, right? With having slight different issues uh, and challenges, then you end up with LM ML ops, <laughs> let's see, right? Makes sense. Um, I think it rounds it up quite well because this, uh, let's say, data extraction, analysis, preparation, training, evaluation, serving, and monitoring responsibilities of uh, ML ops uh, in, by being combined with continuous integration delivery and uh, uh, this training, model training, and so continuous training, let's say, Right, uh, kind of summarizes quite well what this uh, data engineering, data science stuff actually covers from a very high level. Let's say, right? Okay, so the, the data scientists sort of write the code, write the Python code, whatever, and M ML ops would make sure that Python code gets deployed at the right place and the retraining happens every whatever yeah, two hours or exactly, something. Yeah. yeah so okay. the data engineer would define where, the, where to get the data from, uh, how to process the data, or, uh, in, or mm. how to, to basically pre-process the data to, by defining the data yeah. pipelines. The data scientists would basically uh, decide how to extract features, how to clean it up, how to pre-aggregate, blah, blah. 
right? Uh, and then also kind of build up the models and uh, uh, yeah, train the models, uh, pre-evaluate the models and so on. And then you need to put it in action, right? And in action, let's say this stuff is only valuable if it uh, yeah, uh, kind of continuously adapts uh, in, a, in a sense, yeah. right? You, and you can see how well it does over the time because uh, you, you get new data, new users, new behavior, blah, blah, oh, right? Yeah. And uh, at some point, uh, your model might not be as good as before again, right? Uh, That's the evaluation part, yeah. Husky, husky in, in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah <laughs> but uh, by, by applying this, you would have maybe found out over time that something is odd uh, and then you, you would have been able to, to basically... Uh, that's see it, yeah. see it in, more uh, pictures in, in. Uh, in real time, right? Yeah. Uh, or yeah. monitor it, right? So the same way as you monitor maybe the performance of your of your application, right? And see, hey, there's something odd. My application doesn't respond fast enough or my application is giving more errors or whatever. The the same way yes. you would basically like to monitor and uh, and observe if, if your ML stuff is, is acting as expected, whatever this means, right? Okay, makes sense. Yeah, I, I think cool. that's it from my point of view, right? So I, I, I we discussed a lot. We we are a little bit over time, half an hour over time again. But uh, yeah, just a little bit. But I think we've now, if you've listened to this, you know everything that is worth knowing about machine learning. Everything, right? right. You, yeah. can, you, you can now apply yeah. to the job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's You're all now you need officially to know. a data scientist, <laughs> data engineer, whatever label, whatever you want, right? <laughs> you exactly. Whatever you want, right. S send us an email for your certificate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, certified by the grumpy old coders, right? That's yes. uh, that's the uh, grumpy it's old coders. It's not widely certified. accepted yet, but you know, yeah. I think it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Um, maybe you should issue this stuff with uh, with a kind of download link, which has a unique ID in it, and then take this information and uh, do something with it, right? So. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, exactly. And you should, we should now say a unique ID or something, yeah. you know, say the link. So you have to listen to this point yeah. in order to get the link. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, for analytical purposes and so on, right? And then we can predict oh, yeah, how we too. can hook up more users and listeners and whatever. <laughs> listeners. Listeners. More, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> more, more users or, or a user. Yeah. Uh, user. Yeah. What, what a, additional a listener? Listener. listener. Say, yes. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> any, a, anyway let's close it anyway uh, how we started with anyway right uh, i thank you very much for listening uh, and uh, yeah see you the next time and we apologize right. for being a little bit late with this episode uh, we, we hope that we will find more time in the future busy busy to yeah record right. more often yeah. thomas yeah sounds good sounds good to me all right so thanks for listening 